It's been a tough year. Let's be honest about that. It's been a tough year. And for some people, it's been an exceedingly hard year. For others, it's been a few bumps of inconvenience. But one thing we can all agree on is it's been an odd, difficult, discouraging, dark, divisive year. And has it not? People we love have gotten sick. And some of them have died. Many have suffered materially, economically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And along with the COVID plague, we had that terrible racial turmoil and the political hostility at a level that probably none of us have ever experienced in our lifetimes before. I, I believe that the number of people in America who are hostile to religion and God and the Bible is growing. And some of the things that have happened this year seem to have poured gas on that fire. So it's been a hard year. Some have lost their jobs. Some have lost their businesses. Some have lost their friends. Some have lost their peace of mind. They've had a crushing blow to their mental health, to their emotional stability. It's been a, been a hard year for some of our loved ones. Some have lost their homes. Some have lost their lives. Churches have been divided. All churches have had to deal with the temptation to division. And I would say ours has done really well, but we felt that too, you know. Even families, and what I'm hearing this week from people is that families are divided some. Hey, are we going to be together? Oh, don't, don't come and bring the kids over this week. I love you, but don't come till next year. That's been really hard. Or been, it's been the other way. The kids have said, Mom and Dad said, don't come over. Can we, would, did we ever imagine there was going to be a time when Mom would say, don't come over? Or when Grandma would say, I love you, but I guess don't come over. Um, and where your loved ones, they could die. So, yes, let's, let's not skirt around this. It's been a hard, unusual, difficult year so when these things happen, Christians should always ask themselves, how does God want me to think about this? How does God want me to talk about this? And for the answers, what do we do? Amen. We take our Bibles and we say, okay, Jesus, what did you say? And what we've chosen to do in the month of December in, in the season of Advent, along with these beautiful songs that we've sung and these stories that we've told and testimonies that we've given, we've opened the Word of God every Sunday to the same passage of Scripture, and we've noticed different things about that same precious story in the life of Jesus. The time when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth and he visited the synagogue on the Sabbath and he read a prophetic Scripture about himself. And we've learned some fascinating things from this passage that will help us to think the way God wants us to think about what we're going through, to talk the way God wants us to talk about what we're going through. And I think you'll see that very plainly. Let's talk first about those two things that we've already learned. First is Jesus was sent on a mission from God. Jesus comes to the synagogue. He stands up. He reads the scroll. It's the prophet Isaiah. If you will, it's the New Testament of Isaiah. It's the part where Isaiah burst forth in brightness and light. It's Isaiah 61. 
And he says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me to come and proclaim the good news. I got good things to say for people that you wouldn't think would ever get good news. Poor, bound, blind, oppressed people. This is the, this is the news that Jesus said. And then he said, he said, and this is about me. Today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your hearing. This was an amazing statement that Jesus made in his hometown on that day. So Jesus was saying, I was sent on a mission from God. I am Messiah. I was sent on a mission from God. And furthermore, he sent us on that same mission. Bethel Church, our mission is the same mission that Jesus had, to proclaim good news to people that you wouldn't think would be the recipients of good news, who need good news. Bethel Church has the mission. It's the mission of Jesus. You have a mission over your life. Whatever else you do, it's to proclaim good news. It's to tell the good news. Let me be very plain about this. We don't, our mission is not to save people because only God can save people. It takes a miracle. Our mission is to proclaim good news. It's just, I mean, of course, you can imagine, I like to say it this way. We're just told to tell the story. Ours is to find creative ways to tell the story and to embed the story in, uh, to embed the story in a meaningful way. Hopi, I, I just looked over your way. Our daughter is a married woman, and so we don't see her all the time. She walked in this morning. It brightens our day, and I, I think about Hope, if I can use her for an example. Uh, she's, she does your nails. She's not ever done mine. I don't know why, but she do, does nails and toenails and, and, and hand nails, and she talks with people, and they open up their heart to her, and they tell, do you see how I always pray for Hope? God, help Hope do a good job on people's nails and help them to give her a lot of money for that. And I always ask her, did you make a lot of money today? Did they give you nice tips? And then I also pray, and God, help her to be a blessing to people who come to her with their hearts broken, who are people I would never talk to, and they would never say to me what they will say to her. And you are in a very special place, too. You have people uniquely. And, and think about this. You don't know who they are, but God is at work in the lives of some of them. And when you tell the story, maybe the seventh time that you tell the story, maybe the fifth time that you tell the story, maybe the time that you tell the story when it's just at the right time for them and it's embedded in a certain kind of good works that you do for them, then God will do something miraculous and change them forever. That's what we're talking about. This is the mission that Jesus had. This is the mission that Jesus gave us. Now, there's more to that. When Jesus was given this commission, he was empowered and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And this was a big deal because Luke, when he tells the story, he repeats that a lot. And whenever we're given a commission, we're also told, go in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have also been promised the impulses of the Holy Spirit, the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the leading, the power of the Holy Spirit. God will supernaturally empower our obedience. This is the promise of the Bible. So this is what we learned so far from Luke chapter 4, the story from verse 16 to 30, where Jesus went to his hometown. He was sent on a mission from God. He sent us on a mission from God. He was sent on a mission from God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And when you go do what you do to give the gospel to people, you too can be led by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Anybody got goosebumps right now? This is the goosebump moment. You should feel that. You're kidding me. Yes. And God in his heaven is at work in our world, and he uses us as, as missionaries, as people that, that, that embody the, the, the life of Christ in love for people. You, you fix breaks well. 
and then you go a little bit over and above and then you also catch their eye and you smile at them you 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 are a good teacher that's thoughtful to your students and you listen and you're especially careful and so as a result of that people go i don't know what it is about that i had a teacher in my school that that taught me to love literature mrs neely taught me to love literature on a level i didn't know you could that literally people say glibly that changed my life mrs neely the way mrs neely read poetry changed my life every sunday i do literature from the bible every week i study the bible this way so wherever you are and whatever you do you can be empowered by the holy spirit and then you embed the truth of the gospel in in life in song if you will in good works but also you somehow get the words you point them to a youtube video you invite them to church you give them a tract or you give them a little gospel booklet or you you, you have a little conversation you ask just the right question but i'm being repetitive here i need to keep cracking because today we have something else jesus was given a mission jesus gave us the mission Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. But now there's something more. There's something more we haven't talked about yet. It's embedded in this. And those who are Jewish would immediately see this. We who are not Jewish would not necessarily immediately see this. But in this passage, there's something that kind of harkens back to an Old Testament. So now let's read the text again. And when we get to that spot, I'll show it to you. That law from God and see why God put that law there and, and what that will mean uh, for us. So we're in Luke chapter 4 again and verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. In verse 19, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stopped. In Isaiah chapter 61, after it says, proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, it says, anybody know? And the day of vengeance of our God. Jesus stops with proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down. Because in that time, the teacher would sit down to teach. And so he's sitting down and the Bible says, and all the eyes were upon them after he says, I proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant. He sits down. The eyes of all in the synagogue are fixed on him. And he begins and says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, take your Bibles if, and look in Leviticus chapter 24, 5, 25. And, and you'll see what, what day that Jesus was talking about. Jesus was referring specifically to the year of Jubilee. He says, now I am pronouncing this is the year of Jubilee. I am bringing the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee is a law that God gave to his people that is really one of the most interesting, fascinating, mysterious laws that he ever gave. It was a Sabbath of Sabbaths. You've heard about the Sabbath, the Sabbath day, the seventh day. And, and, and in verse, uh, tw verse 8 of uh, Leviticus 25, he says, if you count the weeks of years, seven times seven years, so the time of seven weeks of years shall give you 49 years, then you shall sound a loud trumpet on the 10th day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You'll sound the trumpet throughout the land. And this word jubilee, you know, means trumpet like ram's horn. 
announcing a trumpet like the trumpet sounds and then a proclamation is given. You will consecrate the 50th year after the 49 years of the seventh, seven years of the seventh. So you have the Sabbath day and then you have the Sabbath year, the land rest, but then you have seven year, seven chunks of seven years is 49 years. And the 50th year is a special Sabbath. This is the year of Jubilee. This is what Jesus was referring to. When Jesus gets to the synagogue, he says, you remember that mysterious law that your grandfather taught you that was so interesting? I am the fulfillment of that. Now, here's what it says in verse 10. You will consecrate the 50th year and you will proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It will be a jubilee for you and each of you will return to his property, to his place, and to his people. You should return to your clan, and the 50th year shall be jubilee for you. In it you will neither sow or, or reap what grows itself or gather grapes. And, 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 and of course the question would be, wait, wait a minute, how will this work out economically? Uh, you mean I'm, I'm, never really, I'm never really selling my land, I'm only leasing it to up to 50 years, depending on when the, this would change the whole economy. This would kind of even the playing field for everybody. This would mean that you wouldn't be able to buy something and keep it forever, but you could only have it until the year of Jubilee. And it would go back to the original owners. This would mean that the, the value of the land would change depending on how close you were to the year of Jubilee. If it's one year to the year of Jubilee, you're not going to get a lot for your lease that year because it's going back to the original owner. This would mean reunion. This is so sweet. This would mean the place that God gave your people that you love would never eternally pass out of their possession it's gods but their use of it and the people would always be being drawn back together anybody else does anybody else feel a stirring in their heart this is this is why the law of god expresses the heart of god and the law of god is a good thing i went to a conference one day and a man who's a bright teacher he got up at the beginning of the conference and without any notes he started quoting bible verses and all he quoted was verses about the law of God. All he quoted, probably 15 or 20 minutes, he just quoted from memory, one verse after another, like this. Oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation day and night. Your law is a delight to my soul. All that he quoted was how much, mostly David said, he loved God's law. People who love God, love God's law. A legalist is not somebody who loves God's law. A legalist is a person who perverts God's law, who, who distorts God's law, who misuses God's law. The law is not against the gospel. The law works with the gospel. It doesn't work in place of the gospel. That would be legalism. That would be bad. But it works with the gospel. We teach the law of God, which is an expression of the heart of God, the holiness of God, and it makes us long for the mercy of God. Does that make sense? So we, we, that's why the, the Old Testament is so long and, and filled with, with expressions of who God is in, in his laws and in his stories. We learn that he is absolutely holy and demands absolute holiness of all of us and that none of us can fulfill God's demand for absolute demand for absolute holiness. And it makes us long for someone like the Lamb of God that could die for the sins of the world. And along comes John the Baptist and he announces Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And there's a collective sigh of relief. There is, the Lamb has come. And this is what Jesus is saying to the people now. He's saying, you know the story your grandpa always told 
about how God made it so the land would go back and all the slaves would have fulfilled their service. Nobody can be another man's property forever. He can hire himself out to work for that person. But when the year of Jubilee comes, he's free. And he says, and, and in this passage it says, and he goes free and his people go free. And he goes back to his land and to his people. In, in, in Chatham, Ohio, there's a little tiny village on a hillside, a beautiful hillside in Chatham, Ohio. And every time, it's Route 618. You drive down Route 618, cutting across the corner of the north end of Licking County, and you go past a house on the top of the hill. And every time I pass that house with my dad or with my grandfather, they would say this, that's the old home place. That's the old home place. And then they would follow that with, and they lost it in the Great Depression. That's the way it always would be said. There's the old home place in Chatham, up on the hill. And they lost it in the Great Depression. You see, God has put into our hearts a longing for place, a longing for people. That God's law is good, God's ways are right. This is something God wants embedded in us, that we would have a longing for freedom, a longing for people, a longing for place. God made it that way. And God is going to fulfill that in himself when he comes along and he says that. I read this interesting, I saw a little, a, a little movie back in 1985. A movie came out that was based on a book written by an author who was originally from Kentucky. This was interesting. And, and of course, having you know, married into a, a family uh, that migrated you know, here from Kentucky a generation ago and always went back to Kentucky. It was always really fascinating to me. Her name was Harriet Simpson Arno. And Harriet Simpson Arno and her husband, they, they had a little place in Kentucky. And they, she went to Berea College, which is a, a teacher's college, free teacher's college, a, that a, child, a person could work their way through in Berea, Kentucky. And then she did well and she transferred to University of Louisville. And she had a desire to, to write and to support herself with her writing and to live on her place in Kentucky. But she never could make that work. She and her husband just, like many people, trying to farm in Kentucky during that time. It's just something that they couldn't do. And so they moved to Michigan. And they lived in Detroit. And, they, and, and a person that has a place in the mountains of Kentucky now is moved into public housing in downtown Detroit. Not what they were used to. And she had a longing in her heart for home a longing to get back to her place and to her people. This never went away in her whole lifetime. And she wrote this book, The Dollmaker, semi-autobiographical, about a woman she made up, Neville, who was, a, was actually a family name, uh, uh, Gertie Nevels, who, who comes to Detroit, and she lives there in poverty and tries to scratch out a living, and, and eventually, finally, she takes some wood that she had saved to make a crucifix, and she feels like God told her, make dolls, and she makes dolls and sells the dolls, and she goes back home. True story, though, about Harriet Arno is that she eventually bought a home in Washtenaw County, a farm, a 40-acre farm in Washtenaw County. But every time she could, she went back home to Kentucky. And when she died, they buried her in Kentucky. Because, you know, God has put in all of our hearts a longing for home, a longing for people that will never be satisfied in any state of the union, but will only be satisfied in God. And this is, a, this is the hunger he put within us. This is the 
longing he put within our hearts. And then he put the law of God in our hearts and it works together. And now Jesus comes along and he says, you know that longing you have for home, I'm it. You know that longing you have for freedom, I'm it. You know that longing that you have not to be owned and controlled by another man? The, ironically, the way for you to be free is to submit yourself to me. That's what he's saying. And that's what Jesus is really saying there. Jesus is basically saying, I am your Jew, Jubilee. Those who submit to me are the ones who are really free. This is what the Bible says about when a person, if you're a believer in Christ, I know many of you are, then in Jesus you've been set free from slavery to sin. You might be still slugging it out right now, but you'll, there will come a day when you will no longer be a, 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 in any way a, a slave to sin. The law of the spirit of life has set you free in Jesus Christ from the law of sin and death, Paul said in Romans 8. In, in Galatians 5 said, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. In Jesus, Jesus our jubilee. Jesus says, all the prisoners go free to come to, that's what Jesus was saying to the people in his hometown. This is a great day. If you submit to me, you're free from your slavery to sin. Galatians 3.22 says, but the scripture, the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law ensured then, the Old Testament law ensured that you could purchase a man's labor, but you couldn't purchase a man because the year of Jubilee would eventually set him free. I heard once of a, of a sailor that had sailed in another country and he'd been wrongly imprisoned for 15 years. He made his way back to London to his home. And he's walking down the street and there was an open air market. And the open air market, someone was selling birds. They were birds in a cage. And as the story goes, he bought all of them. He took his money and he bought all the birds in all the cages. And when he paid for them, he said, they're mine. They said, they're yours. He just went and he opened all the cages and all the birds flew away. And everyone was just shocked. And they looked at him and he had tears on his face. He said, I spent 15 years behind bars and I can't stand to see anything in a cage. When Jesus came into this world, he said, set the people free from their sin. Jesus is the answer to the bondage of sin. That's so beautiful. And Jesus is our jubilee. Jesus is set us free from bondage to debt. Sin is a debt of sin. Colossians, Paul wrote about that in Colossians. And he said, you know, you had the handwriting of ordinances against you. It was as if you'd, you'd done something wrong and there was evidence against you. And people had that evidence. And that evidence was going to damn you. It was going to convict you. It was going to condemn you forever. Is a death sentence on you. And then Jesus comes along and he snatches away that evidence and he nails it to the tree and he dares anyone to touch it. This is what Paul says. And you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. And he took it aside and he nailed it to the cross. To be very plain about it, listen carefully. What Jesus is saying when he came to Nazareth, he didn't tell the whole story then, but I will die, I will be buried, I will rise again, I will die for your sins. Those of you who believe in me, it's the year of Jubilee. Sound the horn. You're released from the slavery that you had to sin. You're released from the death of sin that you had. And I say it still today. For those of us who believe in Jesus, we're free from the debt of sin that we have. We're free from the slavery of sin that we had. Can I get an amen from the Baptist people in the house today? 
And then in Jesus, we're set free from weariness. My, my son Daniel went to New Mexico because he was in debt. He went to train to be a pastor. He got himself in debt. Well, he went to New Mexico to work in the oil field. And he wouldn't mind me telling you that the very first thing he did was he borrowed to buy a pickup truck. Because that's what you do when you want to get out of debt, you know. And he bought this huge pickup truck, a Ford. And uh, one day he was out driving through the countryside, working, wait, taking care of a customer. And they said that this man was a wealthy man with a large estate, a gated estate out in the, in the country, and very difficult to work with. Because we could get on there and talk to him about the, the oil right away and such. But be careful because he's uh, pretty sensitive about people being on his place. So Daniel goes out to his place, and he's very polite and gracious to him and, and, and uh, self-effacing and careful. And the man likes Dan, and he says, you can come back anytime you want. So that worked out kind of neat. One day, he says to Danny, he goes, he's standing, he's looking out over his vast estate, and he says to my son Daniel, would you like to know the secret to my prosperity? He goes, I'm going to send you a little gift. And it's the secret to my prosperity. And not long after that, my son received in the mail a, a gift worth, I think, about $100. Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. <laughs> so my son Daniel and his wife decided to follow that. And they worked themselves out of debt. One of the things they did was they sold me their car. So I have their car. So I took a bit of that debt and, uh, and got a nice car, and he paid the depreciation off of that. But, he, but he, I remember the day when he said, Dad, we don't owe anybody anything. Well, there's something about that. And you may, you may be in debt, and you may have some payments that you have to make. But listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, remind yourself, Merry Christmas, you don't owe anything to God because Jesus paid everything you owe and you never could have worked your way out of that debt that ought to just that ought to put a spring in your step even on a bad year that ought to encourage you a little bit even listen even if you die this year if you have no debt with God it's still the year of jubilee it's good news because you soar into the presence of God. You know you do. Because he promised that you, you do. In Jesus, we are set free from the slavery of sin. Jesus is our jubilee. In Jesus, we're set free from bondage and debt to sin. Jesus is our jubilee. There's something more. What, is the, what do they say when the year of jubilee comes? No more working this year. You, I, I want you to do what? Say the word. It's so fun to say. I don't want you to work. I want you to I want you to rest. A young woman who's very troubled, had a lot on her plate, a lot on her heart, a lot of duties that she felt, and folks that she felt were kind of expecting a lot of her, was talking to me and asking me about this. And I said, who is your role model? Is Jesus your role model? Because Jesus, the perfect son of God, sometimes he walked by the sea. Jesus, the perfect son of God, sometimes he prayed in the mountains. Jesus, the perfect son of God, sometimes had a quiet dinner with his friends. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, sometimes took a nap in the boat. Can I get a witness on that? Sometimes he took a nap. You should probably be like Jesus this afternoon and go home and go to sleep. Not while I'm talking. Wait a little bit. Do it when the lions are playing. You might as well. 
In the year of Jubilee, the Lions will win the Super Bowl. No, I, I made that part up. I'm, I made that up. But Jesus is our Jubilee, sets us free from, from the debt of sin, and from the slavery to sin, and he sets us free from laboring to be right with God. Some of you still, even though you're, can I say this as your pastor, it, real nice, some of you, even though you're Christians, even though your theology is right, if we press you on salvation by grace through faith, you're going to answer the questions right, but you still feel like you've got to do your devotions just right, or else it's going to not be very good for you. And if you don't kind of cross the T's and dot the I's and do the stuff and the discipline is just so, it's like you don't, you don't have a, do you have a loving Heavenly Father who, who, who smiles over you? Like when David is watching his daughter play the piano and he's saying, our, our mom is, and, and they're saying, isn't she the best ever? You have a, I think David is a good father. One of our dads here, David, he's a good dad. I, I think I was a pretty good dad. But what Jesus said is you them being evil, you know how to good give, good, give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly father, your perfect heavenly father, give good gifts to those who ask of him? Some of you need to remind yourself, just chill for Pete's sake. You're a Christian. Jesus satisfied the demands of God on, on you fully, completely, and forever. Of course you should have your devotions because you love him of course you should come to church to uh, just out of love and devotion to him of course you should do things like, or or you should watch church online depending on your circumstances but of course you should but jesus is satisfied and that's why the bible uh, all the demands of god upon us hebrews 4 9 and 10 says it like this i love this so then there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god for whoever has entered into God's rest has also rested from his works, which God did for us. And there's one more thing. I, I mentioned it before, but I, I want to mention it again because I like it. And it's, it's, a, it's this fourth thing. And that is, first, in Jesus we're set free from slavery to sin. He's our jubilee. In Jesus we're set free from bondage to debt. He's our jubilee. Third, in Jesus we're set free from the weariness or the labor to be right with God. And we're given rest. And finally, fourth, in Jesus, we have a place, a forever place, and we have a people, a forever people. And all the things that you long for, that woman who, that grandma who wishes her grandkids could just be around, but this year, you know, what is Zoom, right? That's not like holding a little person on your knee. That's not like listening, that's not like smelling your dad's aftershave or feeling his scratchy cheek when you kiss him. It's not the same and it seems like even sometimes when we can get with our loved ones, sometimes we disappoint them, sometimes they disappoint us. And we have in us that unfulfilled longing that just lies there. That's God calling to you. That's Jesus saying, will you let me be your people? And would you let me be your place? Would you let me be your rest? Would you let me be your freedom? Because I will be all that to you. And what did those people do in his hometown? Think about that. What did they do? Did they submit to him? Did they say, oh, the year of Jubilee is here. Where do I sign up? How do I press into that? And, and, and I should tell you before we quit today that, that the Bible teaches there will be an ultimate fulfillment of this. 
God gave the law, and, and Israel never obeyed the law and did the year of Jubilee. As far as we know, they never did. Even in Jewish antiquity, when you read Josephus, you never have any record that the Jews ever did do the year of Jubilee. It's like it was just hanging in the air, like hanging in their hearts. And then Jesus comes back and says, remember that Jubilee thing? That's going to happen. And I'm the Jubilee spiritually. And then he's going to literally and physically one day in the millennial kingdom bring a Jubilee to the land in literal fulfillment of that. And that's a, that's a message for another day. This is especially important right now because a dark fog of discouragement has come in this year, even over many of us who are pe the people of God. We are the sons and the daughters of the king. We are king's kids, but we're tempted to forget that we have royal blood flowing in our veins, that we have a vast, inexhaustible inheritance in Christ that's waiting for us, and it's guaranteed, already has our name on it, in the kingdom of God. The people of Nazareth responded in the wrong way to what Jesus said. They were angry. They were demonic. They were dark. They were stubborn. They were homicidal. They tried to kill Jesus. But for us, some of us just uh, ignore him. But for those, of us, those who believed, they, they burst into the kingdom. It's an old song, uh, an old singer, that, I, that a pastor singer that I listened to growing up all the time. Eventually, I worked under him, Larry Whiteford. He had a song he used to sing, just a, in, in a beautiful, like, Irish tenor. I walked into the sunrise of a glad new day. That's the name of the song. I walked into the sunrise of a glad new day when Jesus took my sins away. And I can still hear him singing that. For those who believe, you burst into the kingdom. For those who believe, you are in the year of Jubilee. For those who believe, you have a people, you have a place, you have freedom. It's just pretty sweet, wouldn't you say? For those who believe the trumpet of freedom sounds, the year of jubilee comes, and the whole thing should inform the way we think about what we're going through right now. And the whole thing should inform the way we talk about what we're going through right now. We're the good news people. Like Jesus, we're living on a mission from God. Talk about having purpose. Talk about having meaning. Talk about having fulfillment. We are people that have been given a mission from God. And we are people who have been given a power from God for, to fulfill the mission of God. Like Jesus, we have the impulses of the Spirit. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. God is living in us. God is guiding us. God's power is in us. We shouldn't be dragging our tails around. We should be like the people of the Bible, like the Barnabases and the, and the Marys and the Davids and the Peters and the Pauls and the Stephens and the Elizabeths and the, and the Simeons and the, and the, the characters of the Bible who believed. And because they believed, they made a difference in the world. That, that's, that's our opportunity. When we believe that Jesus is our jubilee, we are on a mission from God that is guaranteed to succeed. It's our privilege. It's our opportunity. It's our year of jubilee. We live in what's called the age of grace. This is an amazing age in which to live. We live in the age of grace. We live in the age of grace. It's amazing. We live in the age of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus literally said, my kingdom is here. The, the church is a bit of an expression of what is ultimately going to be David's kingdom and then an eternal kingdom beyond that that will involve everyone together. We live in the dispensation of the church of Jesus Christ. Others would love to have lived in this dispensation. That Our job is to go good news, everybody, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The very next thing that happens is Jesus returns. And however you understand the timing of his return, if you believe the Bible, you believe the next thing that happens is Jesus comes back. 
And, and when Jesus comes back, he's going to make bad things good, wrong things right. He, and, and, and we live on the margin of that. That's what the Bible teaches. We have a pandemic, yes. And our country is turning away from God. And many are rebelling against God. And some of our loved ones have been taken in death. And others have been, more tragically, turned away from the Lord. But still, we're living on the margin of the very kingdom of God right now. And, the, and we have good news to proclaim. And the good news is profoundly good. And the good news is for everyone who will submit to King Jesus. And the good news will last forever and ever. And the good news is so good that it will defeat all the bad news that threatens to crush our spirit. I am so sick of hearing bad news. It's time for God's people to rise up and say to the world, I have good news for you. Even Willie Nelson knows this. <laughs> Willie Nelson. His son wrote a, wrote a song. He had the right idea. Do you know what it's called? Turn off the news and build yourself a garden. That's the name of the song. Turn off the news and go plant a garden. Well, he was on the right track. When I was a boy, I remember my dad, which sometimes gets to this point in his sermon, in a, in, in a little country church in Logansville where he preached. I was probably 10. I remember this really well. My dad says this, and I thought it was a great illustration. What if there was a worldwide plague? My dad would say this back in the 60s. What if there was a worldwide plague and everybody was getting sick and dying? And then he would say, what's he going to say next, right? And then what if somebody found a cure? What if you found the cure to a worldwide plague? And you could say, I have good news. There's a cure. I'm not so sure about the vaccine. We have great hope in that, don't we? This is what I am sure about. Jesus is the cure for the worldwide plague of sin. My dad was right. He got it out of the Bible. I had a really hard Christmas once. It was the year that Weston was born, 1994. We had leased a house out in the country, and we had a five-year lease on the house. It was mine and for five years. It was $300 a month and free gas, and it was on a 100-acre farm on the end of a dead-end road in an old farmhouse. And I had a five-year lease. So it was nice we wouldn't have to leave. But then the man who owned it suddenly passed away. And his widow called and said, could you please release me from my promise? And I said, okay. And now we were homeless and it was Christmas. And we had to move away. We had some old Amish friends that found a, a place for us that we could move into while we were waiting on another place. But it's Christmas time and my wife had just had a baby. And, and people came into my life and they didn't mean to hurt my feelings, but they basically said, Ken, you are such a loser. You know, you don't have a house. You got all these kids. You haven't made proper, and I really felt, can I just say it in a bald way? I felt like such a loser that Christmas. I really did. And I was just thinking, ah, oh, I should have my ducks in a row. I should have a house. I should have a place. And, and I don't. I don't have a house. And here we are moving out in the country in this old ramshackle house. And it was rough, and we took all of our stuff. And, you know, if, if things are going bad for you, you call on your friends, right? And your friends come and help you. Have you ever been at a point where it's so bad, you don't even want your friends to see what you're going through? That's what it was like for us. So there's just a few people. There was a, one person I could call that could help me. Late one night, we'd moved all of our stuff out there to that place, except for one last load. And we were just so weary, and we were so tired, and I was so discouraged, and I really did feel like a loser and here was Lois with a little baby trying to make sure she was going to be okay and he was going to be okay. And my 
people were, were kind of suggesting that maybe I should have made some different decisions than I made. And I had one more load of stuff to move, and I was so tired, I didn't know what to do. And I called my brother Nathan, and I said, Nate, would you come and help me? He goes, yeah, whatever you need. He came over. And here we were, the two of us, just loading this whole big truck full of stuff. And we got it all loaded, and we were so weary. We drove out that night to the house, and we were going to open the garage door to put the stuff in the garage, and it had been raining, just a cold, dreary rain all day. And I had put all my books in the garage uh, for safekeeping, and my library is very valuable to me. And I remember that we, we opened up that garage door, and when we did, we could see that the garage was leaking, and the water was pouring in on top of my books. And my brother, Kevin, my brother Nathan, oh, Kevin, come on, let's get a tarp over those books. We'll try to save them. So we drug that tarp over there, and I just stood there, and I thought, I'm such a loser, you know? I can't even take care of my family. And I remember my brother Nathan and I standing in the back of that truck that night, and he just put his arm around me, and we kind of cried together for a second. And then he goes, Ken, I go, what? He goes, you know we're going to laugh about this someday, right? <laughs> I go, I know, but it just doesn't seem like there's anything about it that's funny right now. It would take me the rest of the afternoon to tell you how what happened in Walhanding in that little place ended up guiding us to where God was going to have us next, where there was a beautiful home and a fireplace and a five-bedroom parsonage on the nice end of town that God was preparing for us. But I didn't know it that night. I just knew that my library was getting wet, and I was embarrassed to even let my friends see what I was going through. I, I know it's been a hard year. And some of our dear ones have actually, they'll never forget this year because they lost their son, they lost their husband. They, what, a, what, a, what a sad thing. They lost their job. I know it's hard. It, there's, no, there's no taking away the pain of that. But I will say it's still the year of Jubilee. And the thing that the angel said is still true. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be to all people. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Stand, we'll sing together.